So this is a reading from Matthew Fox, uh, and he was here um, a couple of months ago and spoke here. His commentary on Meister Eckhart. Where is the kingdom of God? Jesus said it cannot be objectivized in place. It is neither here nor there. And Eckhart follows suit. He calls for a new sense of space consciousness to replace the overdeveloped sense of place consciousness that we have. Heaven in all places is equally distant from the earth. Similarly, the soul should be equally distant from all earthly matters so that it's not nearer to one than the other. One might say that the place of the kingdom is relative to our letting go of place. The place of the kingdom is relative to our letting go of place, as the time of the kingdom is relative to our letting go of time. Nothing so much hinders our understanding of God, says Eckhart, as time and space. God is neither this nor that in the way of the manifold things of earth, for God is one. It is by letting go of objects in time that we begin to experience God. And God is where there is no place. If the the kingdom of God is not identifiable in a particular place, but rather with human consciousness, then it would seem that churches are superfluous, says Matthew Fox, and even misleading, says Eckhart. Eckhart points out that a person crossing a field or in the mountains, skiing, he didn't say that, but I did, being aware of God is like being aware of God in church. The reason it is easier for some people to find God in church is due to their own insufficiency and nothing on God's part. It is not that God is more in a church than in a field, but that some people are too close to find God except in a church. God is equally in all things and in all places. The one who knows God best is the one who recognizes him or her, equally everywhere. Now, I wanted to talk today about time and place, because over the last few weeks and months, and it seems like years, we've been very particular about both. I've been talking about the place of the chapel all year, and in reference to the time that we've been here, 50 years, it's, it's all, this year's all been about time and place. Our celebration has been about time and place. So I think it's a good balance to think about the idea that in fact, time and place are often unhelpful concepts when talking about God. Because God doesn't seem to dwell in time and place. She is both, outside both. She's not in one or the other. 
She's outside it as well as being within it. And yet we are constantly in our lives hemmed in by time and place. We have to get to the right place at the right time for things to happen. You have to be in the chapel by 9.30, or at least most of you here by 9.40, so that you can be at the service at the right time and at the right place. You have to get to the polling booth on time to vote. You have to get to the dinner table at the right time to eat. You've got to get to the church on time to get married. All of our life is measured in time and space. Place. And to live outside time and space seems an impossible thing. In fact, all movement, all movement is a function of time and space. Movement is measured by time and space. And time and space give reality to movement. The turning of the world. And all our lives are a movement of time and space. And yet here are two very respected theologians saying that when we talk about God, we have to speak in terms outside time and space. It says, Eckhart says, one might say that the place of the kingdom is relative to our letting go of place, as the time of the kingdom is relative to our letting go of of time. Eckhart says, nothing so much hinders our understanding of God as time and space. So how do we square these two things? One that suggests that life is a function of time and space, and the other that God is outside time and space. So logically, our life and the kingdom of God do not seem to connect. And why would we want to commit ourselves to something that is outside time and space when all the battles that we have in our life exist within time and space. I've used this quote before, but T.S. Eliot really tries to reconcile this in the four quartets. He said, at the still point of the turning world, like a, it's like a gyroscope, this thing, a still point in the turning world. Neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point... There the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the still point. The still point, except for the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. He's pointing there towards something of the paradox that exists with the nature of the divine, of the eternal, and with our own preoccupations with time and space. He's trying to reconcile these two worlds. Because how can we not be preoccupied with time and space? You're sat here in the space of the chapel. And if I go on in time past a certain point, you will instigate movement and we'll get up and leave. You know, if I just carried on, if we just stood here. You know, we are completely held by it. It seems that we are imprisoned by time and space everywhere that we look. 
And so we can experience that time and space. You know, we can experience it as actually the prison within which we exist. I think it's similar to that. There are the bars, the walls, the floor of our existence. And when we choose to look at the nature of eternal life, it is like looking out of the window in your prison cell at the fields that are impossible to reach. You're looking out there and think, yes, eternal life for me, please. But no, I'm in time and space. Eternal life, like the view from your cell, that concept, like the view from ourselves, tantalizes us as we look at it from our present captivity. So what's the answer? How do we escape this? Well, on the one hand, you can say it's all an illusion. This time and space is not real. The real world is the inner world that we connect within. And that goes with the idea I've mentioned before, about, you know, that we're not actually walking through time and space, but actually we're present and still and time and space is moving through us. We're in a space that is outside place. As Eckhart says, you know, a new sense of space consciousness to replace the overdeveloped sense of place consciousness. You can, you can wrap your mind around it and think, oh, maybe it's that way. But it doesn't help us at all when the next deadline comes our way. When the phone rings, which it does happen in our household, and the kids need picking up at 10 p.m. from the pizza joint. They phone us up to be picked up and we say, no, Samuel, it's not real. You're not there. I'm not here. I'm not coming to get you. And you can hear the response. Dad, you know, come and pick me up now. You know, we have to exist in time and space. It just will not do because it is real. It bumps up to us every second of the day in every place that we're in. Another way that people deal with the prison of time and space is to get used to to being in the prison. They become model prisoners, you know, playing the system, being on time and at the right place so they get maximum use of what's on offer in that prison. A bit like Tim Robbins as uh, Andy Dufresne in The Shawshank Redemption, you know, playing the music, drinking the beer, setting up the library. You know, there are successful people who've got it all. And somehow they know how to play the game of time and space and they play it. And yet they're still in a prison. At the end of their lives, they have to confront it. We all do. Time and space at an end. You can't take it with you. Finito, dying in that prison. And you see it in people who desperately hang on, even when they're dying. It's as if they're clutching to the bars of their prison and saying, I have to get out. I'm still not free. I just a little more time so I can escape this prison. And then they die. So is there a way out? Is there some way of tunneling through the wall? It took Andy Dufresne 19 years in the Shawshank Redemption to make his tunnel behind the poster of Rita Hayworth. 
Matthew Fox says, heaven in all places is equally distant from earth. Heaven in all places is equally distant from earth. Similarly, the soul should be equally distant from all earthly matters so that it's not nearer one to the other. And the answer, according to him, according to to Matthew Fox and Meisterecker, the answer to this prison is to recognize that the prison that we're in of time and space is of our own making by us choosing to be confined by time and space rather than choosing to live in the soul and to observe our relationship to time and space, to observe it rather than being at the effect of it. It's a question of perspective. Either to be in the cell with the walls around you or to see yourself in the cell from a bigger perspective where you're not confined by time and space, but you recognize that the body you identify with is confined by time and space. It's a sort of -of out-of-body experience where you look down on yourself and you see yourself in your body in the board game of your life that you're playing. And that's what Eliot describes when he talks about the still point in the turning world. He's talking about being in that still point. It depends where you identify yourself to be. You know, that thing about the soul is equally distant in all earthly matters, that it's not nearer one nor the other. That's to say, we do not identify with the dictates of time and space even though physically we're dominated by it. Going back to that Eckhart phrase, one might say that that the place of the kingdom is relative to letting go of place, and the time of the kingdom is relative to letting go of time. We have to really see our bodies as an avatar, living in the world where we identify with the whole, of which our body and all other things are a part. Which means that we do not take what happens to us personally. It is the whole that matters. That's why he says you shouldn't, you know, heaven and earth are equally distant from all things that happen. He's saying do not identify with what is going on. It's the whole that matters. So actually one outcome or another makes no difference. To be attached is to put the prison bars around us again. To be unattached to what happens is actually to identify with the soul, which should be equally distant from all earthly matters. In other words, the soul should look out at all outcomes with equanimity. That that old quote that I've used before from Khalil Gilbran. And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles in your life? Your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy. And you would accept the seasons of your heart, even if you always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields. And you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. You would not be trapped by time and space. We identify so much with this 
we think we are separate, we're separate from that. And so we trap ourselves. We trap ourselves. But to just watch all of this and that as it interacts with each other, like watching two children who you love equally. To watch this and that as it interacts with itself, like watching two children that you love equally, is to truly love all. And that enables you to escape from the prison. Not to say that your body is not subject to time and space. It is. However, you can observe that from a, that, you can observe that going on, your attachment, from a place where time and space are not. From the soul, from your place in the kingdom of heaven. And that is your true home. That is where you come from. That is where you will go when you die. Because actually, you never left it. You are always there. You were always there. You are there now. And you always will be there. It is, it, it's just that the unexamined mind cannot see it. And it feels itself trapped in time and space. And how do you realize that? Well, you have to decide, like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption, that you do not want to stay in prison. And that all your efforts are going to be focused on escaping. And that effort is really not just identifying what, with what happens with you. You know, it's not worrying about that. It's not worrying about the future. It's not having judgments about the present. It is an intention just to watch that worry and to not get involved with it. You know, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. This is what this means. What you eat or drink or about your body or about what you wear. Can one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what this means. It means identifying with everything as a whole, not the outcomes that particularly relate to you and your life. It's our identification with our particular circumstances that roots us in the prison of time and space. When we stop worrying about ourselves and see our lives as a part of the bigger whole, then time and space disappear and we live in the internal life, in the eternal life of the kingdom of heaven. As Eliot says, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline. That is why Eckhart and Fox attack what they call particularity. He says, if the kingdom is not identifiable with a particular place, but rather with human consciousness, then it would seem that churches are superfluous. And he then you know, suggests that there is a much more general God being equally in all things and in all places. And therefore, there is no reason to worry, to identify with our bodies, our families, 
There's no reason to identify with our communities, with our nations. Yes, we do care. And yes, we do feel about those things. You know, I care and I feel for my family very much. But in caring and choosing, I recognize my particularity. I'm aware of my particularity. And I choose the prison of time and space for the joy of that particularity. Just as that, old, that phrase that Jesus went to the cross for the joy of it, I choose that, the caring, the involvement. I choose to be involved. I choose to care for the joy of it. And I recognize that with the joy will come sorrow. You know, people in my family die. Yeah, that sorrow will be there. And I choose that too. I choose that sorrow and I am not imprisoned by it. I accept the seasons of my heart, even as I've always accepted the seasons that pass over the fields. And I watch with serenity through the winters of my grief. My love spurs me to action and my observation of it stops me from being attached to the outcomes. It's not that I don't care, I do. But I know that in the end, as Julian of Norwich says, all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And we will have eternal life. It's not up to me. I'm part of something greater. I just play my part and leave the rest of that divine nature who gave me consciousness and with whom I share that consciousness. So do you know, I don't need to worry. Time and space are a reality, but contained within a deeper reality that is ordered by love. Let's pray. So we do pray for all those who do feel imprisoned, whether physically in prison, imprisoned by their minds, imprisoned by their circumstances, imprisoned by their pasts, imprisoned by their fear of the future. Particularly as we're in around Veterans Day, we do think of all those veterans and with gratitude as to what they've given and the effect it has on them, both in time and space. We just pray for freedom in their lives, that they will not be imprisoned by that which has happened to them, that which is around them and their families, their friends. Pray for all those who feel trapped by weather circumstances at the moment, those who are trapped through hunger, illness, in unjust regimes. Pray for those who feel they're not free at the moment. We pray we may be able to free ourselves and to bring that freedom to others around us 
that sense of play and love. And would you think about all those who are in our community, particularly Rita Hunter, suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, Heather Morrow recovering from her brain injury, Pat Smith with cancer. We give thanks for Patricia Overton's recovery that she's with us today in the chapel. Pray for Brett McKenzie, for Elizabeth Robin Morse and her pregnancy, for Connie Orcutt recovering from back surgery, from Ryder Friday recovering from his accident, and Barbara Bloomsma's aunt Honey, who is recovering from a lung infection. We just take a moment just to think of people close to us who are suffering or ill in any way. We pray that healing, freeing nature of your love 